Amen. So while I was away, I'm just going to take a short few minutes to uh, share with you some thoughts I had. I've been reading through the Gospel of Mark and um, just finished it. Um, but while I was away, when we would meet to, to pray in the mornings, we would just share whatever had been on our hearts. Yeah, We'd share whatever the Lord was speaking to us in that day. And probably because of the environment I was in, the space we were in, thinking about kids and looking after kids, the, the portions in Mark where it speaks about children really really stood out to me. And um, I've probably used those portions before when we've had like baby dedications or something like that in the church or a special day for kids. Um, but uh, I dwelt on them a bit more while I was away. And, uh, and I think there's some truth in there that's incredibly simple. I don't have anything massively profound to say this morning, right? I don't have any like massive insight into the Hebrew or the Greek text or something like strange, something you've never saw before to help you understand what God was talking about in this scripture. But just have is like the plain truth of the gospel and um, the plain truth of what Jesus had said. And sometimes it's the simplest things that we just need to actually apply to see something happen in our lives, yeah? We don't need more information. We don't need more knowledge. We probably just need a little bit more um, obedience or openness to actually applying this stuff. Simple thoughts, but life-changing thoughts. And so I'm reading, um, I was reading in Mark, and the, the portion I'm going to land on this morning anyway, Mark chapter 9, um, should be on the screen there. It says this, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, this is Jesus, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child, and he put him in the midst of them, and taking them in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. There's a lot in that. You've probably read that and read it before, and we kind of gloss over it. We just think of it as, oh, Jesus loves kids, yeah? That kind of thing. We should value kids. But I think there's, there's a bit more to it if we examine it this morning. Um, first of all, we see, we see this again and again, actually, in the Gospels. The disciples, like, arguing over who, who was greatest. Um, if you know some of the context of the Gospels, you know that most of Jesus' disciples were, like, teenage to early 20s-year-old men, right? And that's just naturally what happens in a group of men when you put them together. You put a group of guys in the room, and inevitably, like, we'll start... We'll start flexing, yeah? Or we'll start, like, we'll start like dropping into conversation the things that make us great. There's like competition that emerges amongst people. There's something in us that, that, that wants to be like, recognized amongst our peers. And Jesus' disciples were, were, always, were always at that. And we might think that we don't do it, but, but we do it. We mightn't be like, as explicit as those guys are, right? They were on the road. They're like arguing with each other over who is the greatest. Like that would seem crazy if me and you, Bernard, were have a conversation. I'm better than you. No, I'm better. Than, like we wouldn't say it out loud, right? But then, but, but do we live our lives in a way to kind of like, without using words, prove amongst other people that if people were to think about us, I'd like them to think that I'm better than Bernard. Do you know what I mean? Or Bernard to think, I'd like them to think that I'm better than, than other people. We do stuff to try and like set ourselves apart from the crowd. We might argue about it, but, but we actually align a lot of our thought, a lot of our energy, a lot of the, our mental energy on, on trying to achieve like some greatness for ourselves, some sense of significance. Think about the way that you like interact in your workplace. 
You know, the, the, the things that you do, the times that you, you stay longer than you should have stayed, or the, the ways you go about trying to get promotion, or, or the, the way you feel you have to prove yourself to your boss, or look busy when he comes around, or, 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 or what are the things you do? Like, what are the, the pictures that you post on social media, yeah? Like, with the right filters and the right lighting to make yourself look good, or the, 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 way, that you, uh, the way that you spend your money, or the way that you spend your your time what do you spend what like if we looked at your bank account what would it tell us about what you what you value in life do you buy like like branded clothes because they're like better made or do you buy branded clothes because i want people to know how much i paid for this pair of runners or i want people to know how much i paid for this this label labels trying to sell us like an identity in in different ways we're trying to like prove our greatness, yeah? And it's where, it's, where, it's where we go. We're like insecure beings at heart outside of God. And we need something to latch onto, something that sets us apart, something that says, I'm worthy, something that says, like, I'm, I'm, I'm good enough, something that says, like, look at me. And we, we struggle for that stuff. We struggle for identity. We want to be, we want to be great. And even if, even if you're a person who, like, doesn't go near social media and doesn't, doesn't like, intentionally wears all their clothes from pennies or something or intentionally, like, like, like doesn't drive a fancy car as a status symbol or something, in your heart you can still be doing that and say, like, oh, like, I'm better than all those idiots who are buying the fancy clothes and spending all their money on that stuff and doing whatever. Like, in your heart you can be, like, still trying to prove how great you are. And we just, we do it. And we don't like to admit that that's there, right? That's not like a nice, not way of me gaining popularity to tell you that you like do all this sort of stuff, right? We don't like to admit it's there, but, but it is there. And the disciples here didn't want to admit that it's there either. They're arguing on the road about it, and Jesus is like, what are you talking about? And they wouldn't tell him. They didn't. He knew, but they, like, they, they didn't want to admit to it. He just asks them, what are you talking about? And it's like it exposes their heart and makes them feel a little bit uncomfortable. And Jesus could ask us questions like that, like... What are, you, what are you spending your money on, Rob? What are you daydreaming about, Rob? What's, like, what's the stuff that occupies your, your mind? Is it stuff that's just going to make you look good in front of people? Is that the stuff that you're desiring? Are you desiring to be great? Um, but Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't let it go. He asks them, they don't answer, but then he sits them, he calls them to him, and he says, look, if anyone wants to be first, you're going to need to be last of all and servant of all. Basically, he's saying, if you want to be great, you need to serve greatly. Like, he's redefining the definition of greatness. It's not about how many people serve you, but it's about how many people you serve. The difference you make in other people's lives is what defines greatness and defines being first in the kingdom. And he lifts this child into his arms, and he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Verse 37, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Let me read that again. Whoever receives... One such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Again, I've read that, glossed over it. It's just like a verse about Jesus loving kids and we should all love kids, yeah? But like, there's a depth in there. He's saying somehow there's a connection between the way you receive God, the way you, the way you receive Jesus, the access you have to God. The intimacy you have with God, the intimacy you have with Jesus, and the way that you receive a 
kid. Now, what does that, what does that even mean? As I dwelt on it, what does it even mean to receive a kid? Is someone giving away kids and like you receive a kid, you take a kid. What, what does it even, what's it mean to receive a child? Well, the NIV translated a bit more usefully. He says, whoever welcomes a child in my name welcomes me. To receive someone means to like embrace them. Actually, what's Jesus doing here? I love that. It stuck out to me when I read it. End of verse 36. He's put a child in the midst of him and, said, and then taken him in his arms. He said to them, so picture this, Jesus is talking to the disciples with a kid in his arms, saying, whoever welcomes a child, whoever embraces a child, whoever takes one of these, welcomes me. He's saying, you want to embrace me? Here's how you do it. You embrace a child. Now, why, why a child? Why is there some magical connection between kids and, and God? What happens when you get a little bit older and you're not a kid anymore? Like, what? That, that doesn't really make sense. Why a child? Well, in the West, we're kind of like disconnected from it, but from our, our journey in Lesotho, we realize that like everywhere in the world doesn't value kids like we do here, yeah? Like we probably overvalue kids to a certain extent here and that kids can be like the idols of our society, yeah? People like throw all their money into looking after their kids and their kids achieving, like they chase it, they pin all their hopes and dreams on what their kid is going to do and achieve, yeah? It becomes like, can easily become an idol in their lives. But the opposite is true in other countries. And I would say at the same time, when in the context of what Jesus is speaking, it's more similar to what we've experienced in Lesotho where kids are like, kids are like pushed away, they're like, get, it, get away from me. Do you know, they're, they're like not seen as useful in any way, shape or form. Like unless like they're of some, unless, unless like you can, you can get something out of them. They're like, you see kids, like for a while in Lesotho, I used to wonder, I'm like, how can kids, how can parents just abandon their kids? There's like a couple of kids with us who have a ma, but she just legged it. She just went to South Africa, just left them in a hut by themselves. Like just to fend, like eight and nine years old to fend for themselves. And just went away. And maybe it's like poverty. Maybe there's like no choice. Maybe there's whatever. But Or maybe it's just a cyclical thing of generation after generation where kids are just abused and neglected and abandoned by parents who when they were kids were abused and neglected and abandoned. By parents who when they were kids were abused and neglected and abandoned. And the cycle continues and continues and continues and there's no value placed on these lives. But Jesus is, is a cycle breaker. And he comes along, and when he picked up that kid, that's the way kids would have been seen there. Keep them away. Keep them, keep them, keep them offside. They're, they're, they're a hassle. And, uh, and Jesus picks one up, and he, 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 he takes him into his arms. And in the context of an argument over who's greatest, he picks up someone who's great in nobody's eyes. And he says, you want to receive me, you're going to have to receive these. You're going to have to receive the people who, who, who no one cares about, the people who aren't great in anybody's eyes, the people who don't bring anything to the table. If you want to receive me, you want to welcome me, then it means welcoming them. If you want the honor of welcoming me, the highest name, you're going to need to serve the lowest names. You're going to need to serve the lowest people in society because the end game of this, yeah, the end game of receiving Jesus is that we want to be like him, yeah? But what did Jesus do? Jesus came and he served like one of the most beautiful scriptures that moves me practically to tears each time that I read it. What I'm struck by it is when Jesus washes his disciples' feet and the, the kind of prologue to that or the verse that sets it up says this, says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and he was going back to God, 
rose from supper, laid aside his garments, tied a towel around his waist, and knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. Do you see, it says, Jesus, knowing who he was, knowing he came from God, knowing he was God, knowing God was going to give all things to him, his definition of greatness, his confidence in his greatness, how is it expressed in, in humility, in bowing down and, and washing and washing people's feet. And he doesn't just do that, but he goes on and he says this to them after he's washed their feet. He says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There's a verse. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We probably all know this stuff already, yeah? Like I said, I've nothing new to tell you. But have you stepped into the blessing of actually doing it? Have you stepped into the blessing of serving the people who no one else wants to serve? Or are we still chasing after greatness? Are you still chasing after things? When Jesus says, you'll do greater things than me, does it jump to mind, I'm going to do, I'm going to raise the dead, I'm going to do whatever? Or does it also come to mind where he said that the greatest needs to become the least. Maybe doing greater things means that we get to serve more people. It means that we get to serve in even greater numbers people than Jesus could serve while he was here on the earth. That he sends us out with hope, with good news for the poor. Like all of this connects together to something that should call us to, to action. Not just to intellectual agreement. Okay, first to be last, last to be first. I get it. And then I'm just going to go to work on Monday morning. Do what I always did. Strive for position and promotion. And, and lord it over people. And look to be a manager. Increase my influence. I want to stand over my life at the end of my days. And people look at me and say, didn't Rob do great things? Wasn't he great? Jesus says, people say that about you. You've already received your reward. In fact, he says to people like that, he's like, woe to you. Like, I feel sorry for you people. If that's what you're after. He says the first to be last and the last to be first. The greatest among you needs to be the greatest servant. How do we show? How do we take that step towards being a servant? Well, you find the people who don't matter to anybody and you love them and you serve them. You find the people whose society is written off and you love them and you serve them. Whoever that might be in our context. Maybe kids, maybe the homeless, it might be refugees, it might be asylum seekers, it might be people begging on the side of the road, it might be people stuck in addiction that people have written off. It might be the, the, the working class, it might be the social welfare class, it might be just the people who people look down on are like, ah, they have nothing to offer. Our position is meant to be to get down and wash their feet. That sounds crazy, eh? That sounds nuts, but that's how countercultural the gospel is. And Jesus has said that's the definition of greatness. That's what God, who gets defining rights on everything, yeah, who made this world, says that greatness is. I don't know, guys, that we can, uh, I feel like that God would just call us to a reality, you know, like to, oh man, it's so easy to come together, right, and, uh, and sing some songs and sing, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, yeah? Jesus, we love you. And then, uh, and then walk past the direct provision center in our town and do nothing about it, you know? Jesus doesn't... He says, you want to receive me, receive them. You want to welcome me, welcome them. 
You want to embrace me? You want to sing about love and be all lovey-dovey with me? Well, well, like it's expressed in loving the least of these, in loving the people who nobody loves. Imagine if we could actually put aside the things, like those meaningless things that we think make us great, and the time we consume on them, the energy we put into them, the resource we put into them, the headspace we put into trying to prove ourselves and gain significance. Imagine if we turned that around and put it into serving the least of these. Imagine if we actually believed what Jesus said is true to the extent that we were willing to live it out. Find the people who need help and help them, the people who need love and love them, the people who need provision and provide for them out of the abundance that God has provided for you. The way you live a life that matters is to get close to the people who don't matter and embrace them. That's what I'm convinced from reading scripture. The way you live a life that matters is to get to the people who don't matter and love them. Get close to them and embrace them. And Jesus says, when you do that, you embrace me. Now, right, up to this point, what have I given you? Probably a load of condemnation, yeah? <laughs> Probably a load like, oh no, I'm not doing that. I'm not living that. It's tough. And uh, if this was just like a self-help talk or something like that, that would be enough because maybe guilt would motivate you to leave here and go and do something nice on the way home. You might walk past a homeless person. But then... Like Monday morning, the rest of the world shouting everything else at you, the advertising and the, the pressures of work and life and everything else shouting at you would like would command your attention and you would just move on to just chasing whatever the world is chasing. This isn't just a self-help talk or a way to guilt trip you into something. This is a sermon, and the sermon only becomes a sermon when the gospel is preached. And the gospel at its heart doesn't tell us at such what we have to do, but rather tells us what's been done for us. And when we get what's been done for us, we become changed from the inside out. And those things like become natural to us because we're given a new nature as we behold God, as we're being transformed by the gospel. And so how does the gospel apply to this? Well, look, in the easiest way or the simplest way I can put it, Jesus served you, yeah? Think about that now. Jesus served you. He's saying, Jesus said to himself, I didn't come here to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And comparably to like the, the humility that we'd have to muster up right, to serve a fellow human is nothing compared to the perfect humility of the creator of all things who became human, who came down and washed our feet, who loved and served and accepted us, who allowed himself to be arrested and tortured and crucified because we needed a way to be reconciled to God, because we needed help and were helpless to help ourselves. When we think about what he's done for us, here's how the gospel changes us. When we think about it, when we accept that and realize that all of our struggles to be significant, yeah, all of the ways that we struggle to feel significant are nothing in comparison to what his death on the cross says about our worth and our significance. All of the things you struggle for to make yourself feel good or set you, set you apart, none of that compares to what it says to the fact that the Son of God came from heaven to live on your behalf, to live the life you couldn't live, to die the death that you deserved so that you could live forever with God in eternity, so that you could be restored to relationship with God. And when we get that, guys, we're freed from performance. We're freed from chasing greatness because we realize that we already have it. We're changed from the inside out when we realize what Jesus has done for us. So the point of this sermon isn't to say, try and be nicer to the poor. 
is that God would dwell in us with the same heart where we can't help but do for others in a comparably small way what God has done for us on an eternal scale. Those who've been forgiven, forgive. Those who've been loved, love. Those who've been served by God and realize that, dwell on that, should flow out in, in service for others. And that's, that's, just, that's where I want to land. I told you it's a simple message, but it's profound in how it's applied to our lives. I'm not telling you go out here and try harder. I'm saying dwell on what God has done for you. Realize the scope of how God has served you. And I believe that God will transform you from the inside out, not just your behavior, but your, your heart, so that we can go out and love the least of these, so that we wouldn't be like the Pharisees, or Jesus says, these guys honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We wouldn't be people who just sing, come Lord Jesus, come, come Lord Jesus, come, and then walk past the people who he's put in our world to love. It needs to be a place where the, the rubber hits the road in this. And uh I'd like to finish out by, uh, by reading this, this passage of scripture together as a prayer. Um, it'll be on the screen. It's from Philippians 2. And uh, it's power in just reading the word. The word of God is probably, not probably, is certainly the most important thing that's said here because this is God's word. All the other stuff that I said is my words. But this is God's. And uh, here's a passage in Philippians where Paul is saying essentially what this sermon had just said to the church that he loved in Philippi. And I would love us to just read it out, out loud together and then at the end, amen it as a, a prayer that this, this would be us, that this could be us, yeah? And it roots on what we should do, but then it roots on why we should do it. It hangs on who Jesus is. So let's read it together. So Philippians 2, 1 to 11 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has ex highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. Amen. The challenge is to dwell on that this week, guys. To let it sink into our hearts. To dwell on the humility that Jesus showed on our behalf. So that we can in turn love one another the way that that verse commands. Um, before we finish, can I just recognize like this week was... Uh, was a great week. Katie, Katie won her fight yesterday, as Vernon said. The, the rugby thing happened. It was a great week. It was also uh, a tough week in that uh, Aoife's, Aoife's mom passed away during the week, our beloved sister's mother. And uh, Aoife, we, we mourn with you. And uh, we stand with you. And we love you. And we're your brothers and sisters and families. And we're, we're with you. We're with you in this thing. Every step of the way, whatever it looks like, Aoife. Um, 
I'll praise the Lord that I know a couple of weeks ago your mom gave her life to the Lord here, here in church. And that because of that, we're not like those people who mourn without hope. Mourning is real, but we're the people who, who know the truth that she's with Jesus now. Um, and that one day there'll be a reuniting. Lord, bless Aoife. Bless her family, Lord, her dad, Lord, her brother and sisters, Lord. Her, Lord, all the, the grandkids, Lord. All the family, Lord, of our mum who passed away. All those who are mourning today. And we stand with them, Lord. We mourn with them, Lord. We reflect, Lord, the loss of death. And it's horrible, Lord. And it, it moves us, Lord God. But we also stand, Lord, in hope of who you are, Lord. Of hope in the resurrection from the dead. And one day you return, Jesus. And those who've died in you return with you, Lord God. And are raised to life, Lord. And we bless you, Lord God, for that hope and that truth. And I pray that that would be all over her family, Lord, all over her life today, Lord God. Help us to walk with her as a family, stand with her, Lord God, Lord, and, uh, and, 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 and be who we're meant to be to one another, Lord God, in this time. We bless you for this day, Lord God. I pray over your people today. The Lord would bless you guys, that he'd keep you. He'd cause his face to shine upon you. God would be gracious to you. He'd lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen.